I'm going to lay out what I call the keys to the kingdom. Welcome back, investor, to another episode of the Passive Income Adventures, where we teach people how to invest your hard-earned capital so that you can design your own lifestyle and figure out how to get out of the rat race a little sooner. What that's done for us is the ability to just take a break, slow down, and rethink what it is that we want to do with the rest of our lives. A lot of people talk about how they don't want to work till they're 65, but they don't really have an out plan. And that's what we talk about today on the show with Chris Daly. Chris Daly is like the grandfather of podcasting. He's been doing it since 2004 when it was invented. He knew a guy from MTV who invented the podcast and he immediately saw the value of this and jumped on board and started talking about doing podcasting, creating podcasts and trying to convince people that podcasts were the wave of the future. But it took him a long time, nearly two decades for it to really reach its maturity and people to start reaching out and saying, hey, how do I get on this bandwagon so that he could really niche down into just doing podcasting. And this is a story of his general marketing business that he's been running for many, many years about how to help businesses become better businesses to reach more clients and how he's been able to really focus on podcasting in the last, say, five years. And we talk about Joe Rogan. We talk about the pandemic. We talk about all the things that affect business owners and their ability to market themselves with credibility in the age of AI. Just fascinating stuff from somebody who's really been living this for a very long time. I've known Chris for, I think, about 15 years. I'd have to go back and check. We're old friends from Austin, Texas. And I knew at the time that he was a marketer and that he was a podcaster, but I don't think it really hit home until after I started getting into real estate investing and increasing my reach on social media. And he reached out to me to say, hey, have you thought about doing a podcast? And at the time it was, yes, of course I've thought about doing it, but I don't really want to commit. Really what I was looking for was passive income. I wanted to retire early. And the thought of starting a new business like this fund that we're running and having to podcast and market for, I was just exhausted. I wasn't necessarily burned out on real estate, but I was just burned out on working in general. And the passive income bug bit me pretty hard. So when we were able to retire early and take some time off and do a sabbatical and really think about what comes next for us, the answer was to be able to pay it forward and help other entrepreneurs and other professionals just like you who are looking for what comes next after the working life. And so that you can work because you have a passion about what it is that you're doing, the message you want to share, and not because you have to do it for the money. Having that moment where you get laid off and there's a panic attack like what we had in 2017 versus the layoff that we had last year where it was like, okay, well, I guess this is a good reason we need to go out and, and build our platform, our message to be able to help other entrepreneurs and professionals be able to generate more passive income basically by investing your active income and be able to think about what life looks like after after the dream. And the podcast is a huge part of your ability to put yourself out there, add some credibility. And even if it's something that you don't need to do for a business, being able to enjoy doing it as a hobby. We talk about all of those things, monetizing a podcast, who should, who shouldn't, who needs one. You spoiler alert, everyone. So jump in, listen to Chris and just soak up the knowledge. We're not talking about what microphone to use or how to soundproof your studio. We're talking about the strategy and the details behind having a podcast and how to know how to best utilize it to build the platform for the message that you want to share. As of income adventures investor, we have someone I've known for a really long time. I don't know, Chris, how long on each other. It's the worst question you could ask me because I have no concept of time. My wife will tell me something like, hey, when did that thing happen? I'll say six months ago and she'll look it up. It was six years ago. Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. So I have no clue. It's been a while. It's It's been a while. So Chris is a podcasting expert who is going to teach us today about how to utilize podcasting to build your business. And as I always say, 
the more money we make, the more we have to invest, the more we're actually going to generate passive income. The myth, the myth of passive income that you're going to get it from some hands-off business or you're able to make a lot of money doing nothing, that's, that's where scams are born. And so I really want to teach entrepreneurs and professionals how to make more money at what you're already doing so that you have more to invest. And then, you know, evil plan reveal some of that investing hopefully will be with me who brought all of this free information to you. So welcome today to the show, Chris Daly. I think you have probably the best last name of anybody. I, well, if you had to be the one spelling it to teachers every year in elementary school, probably disagree. I, I don't think I knew how to pronounce it for probably the first year or two. That you, <laughs> your wife would your wife would have to correct everybody every single time. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, like I said, Chris is an old friend of mine from Austin. And Chris, just get started. Kiss, kick us off by telling us about yourself, about how you ended up in podcasting, how your journey of entrepreneurship and marketing came through to really specializing in this niche. I just want to hear more about your background and some of the things that happened to you along the way that made you kind of rethink what you're doing down farther into uh, this area. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Well, I was born a poor black child. <laughs> That's a true story. <laughs> if you're watching on YouTube, you'll see that you'll, the accent it's might not true. tell you. No, no, no. Texas boy grew up here and and has have been an entrepreneur since junior high school, actually. My father was an entrepreneur. He had a stained glass studio and he did church windows for churches all over the southern United States. So he was always starting some side gig too, whether it's ultralight planes or boats or you name it. So I grew up watching entrepreneurship and it's just the only thing I knew. So in junior high, I'm, I started a bike repair service for my friends who didn't know how to take care of their bikes. And then it, that graduated into building them. I would get old junkers and clean them up sand them down, paint them, put them all together, and then sell these brand new, shiny, specialized bikes. And that's kind of just what I was, entrepreneur from day one. I went off to college, started doing the whole baseball card trading thing, and every weekend, baseball card shows. And I tell you, I learned a lot from those. My friend, still my best friend, Mike, I've had since junior high, he would go to the show and his idea of success was, how much did I sell? And I'm like, no, that's not the way to look at it. My idea of success was how much I bought because I was out there trying to buy stuff and stuff at a good price that I knew I could sell. And he was always, and he'd hold a card, say a card that was worth by Beckett Price Guide. $100, he wouldn't sell it for under $99. If I saw the card and somebody offered me $50, I'd sell it because I got it for three cents and I would churn that money. So then I would have $49 to play with and I'd buy a whole bunch in that thing. So I learned a lot about the economics of business. And you mentioned passive income. I learned pretty early on that you have to work really hard to make passive income. But if you're smart, like you are, you invest. And that's where the passive income comes. You work at what you love, which makes it feel like it's not really work. I mean, right now I live out in the country. I do podcasting in my studio. Doesn't feel like I've worked in a decade. But yeah, how I got into podcasting. I was in Houston, was working. I had a job at the YMCA of Greater Houston. I was running their computer division networking and computerizing all 35 branches because they had zero computers when I got there and, and just started a side gig doing computer services. Well, being a nerd, 
stayed connected to the tech world and saw that fall of 2004, a friend of mine invented something called podcasting. I say a friend, other people know him as an MTV VJ, Adam Curry. He did Headbangers Ball for MTV. Him and Dave Weiner invented podcasting. I happen to know them very well and was the fit person to ever do one. So I did one over my passion at the time was Texas high school football. And I thought, yeah, we'll give it a try. See what happens. That show is still going. That site gets millions of hits a year and it produces somewhat passive income. I still have to manage a little bit, but I don't write all the articles. I don't record all the shows. So that's what started it. And then just kind of kept getting into more and more of that. The whole time I had started a full service marketing company, just because I learned early on that whether it was doing the, the bike repair shop or selling software to schools, because they were just getting computers at the time, or doing computerizing different YMCAs now around the country, the thing they all had in common was I was marketing them. So I thought, I guess I'm pretty decent at this marketing thing. So started a marketing company, kept doing that to pay the bills, but on the side doing podcasting because I loved it. I mean, I spent most of 2005 traveling around the country, speaking to business groups, colleges, any place I could get 20 people in a room and saying, hey, this new thing is here, this podcasting, it's amazing. It's going to change everything. You can be the media. And it was total blank stares. I was way, way too early. I think the saying is the pioneers get the arrows, right? So, so it was way too early, but I still believed in it, still kept doing it. But now, as your mother knows what a podcast is, so, so now is prime time. And because of that, about two years ago, I made a more concerted effort to niche down into podcasting, not doing it, Although my, my company does about 60 different shows a week right now, but the real niche was helping people start their podcast. And when I say people, individuals, coaches, you name whatever business you can think of, but also municipalities and nonprofits, because it's a huge tool for building brand authority, for just getting your word out, establishing credibility, getting more clients. And then we also segued into not only launching, but doing the heavy lifting that is what we call it, the editing and the day-to-day -day stuff. You can now record your episode, share it with me on a Dropbox or a Google Drive or wherever. And next thing you know, it's uploaded. Well, it's edited, it's uploaded, it's distributed, it's shared on social media. So makes it much easier to get into the business. Fascinating story because I remember when when we were leaving Texas to move city, uh, just just so you know, you were one of the few people who showed up at the house to help. I mean, it was such a whirlwind situation when my husband got laid off and we we're kind of pan moving, and uh, he had already yeah. left for Utah, and you came over basically just to make sure that the move was proceeding uh, well. So thank you so much for that. It really meant a lot, and it was helpful to have you there. Just just making sure that we were okay and, and could get this thing taken care of. And I remember one evening we were just standing in the driveway chatting about your marketing services. And I was doing some contract marketing at the time for a couple of different companies, but we never even talked about podcasting. We just talked about sites, some social media, you know, fractional uh, CMO type of stuff. And so all that time, 
it was almost like podcasting was simmering under the bottom because you started, you said what, your first five or around there? 2004. Of 2004. Okay. So really, really pioneer in that and really blue ocean kind of stuff where you're telling people about it and their eyes are glazing over. And so for a lot of years, sounds like you were really making your living with the more generally marketing, the umbrella of of that. So when did you start to see podcasting really make the shift? Because I, I heard about podcasting very early on when we still had like the little iPod touch, the little white one, and you dial the wheel around. And I was hearing everybody talk about podcasting. But I didn't actually know how to find one. Like I didn't know how to actually use a device to to get on. And so I, I felt like it was a little bit of a technical barrier and it no longer is. Like everybody knows where to find them. So when did you really start to see that trend turn towards people hearing about it, maybe knowing not really consuming them and it just being this totally new blue ocean thing to something that you thought was like, wow, this is really going to... Yeah, there were a couple key moments when you're talking about your iPod um, that I was a big iPod one because that's when Apple. I love yeah. an iPod Touch. Literally, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I still have one. I think it works, and I think it's full of songs. But but yeah, that was when Apple came out with iTunes. It was when they first created it. That was a game changer. It went from just a few nerds around the country in these little pockets who were sharing each other's stuff to now anybody could reach it. But it was still techie. It was still the techie people who were even involved with, like you said, you may have had the device, but you didn't know how to log in. You didn't know how to search and find the type of shows you wanted. And the number of shows wasn't nearly as large. But it was probably five years ago when the real boom happened for the average person. And I think a lot of that was around Joe Rogan because he totally got a lot of press because of his show. And everybody I was talking to someone the other day where they, oh, man, you must know Joe Rogan then because you've been around for a while. He, he's the guy that invented it. Like, no, he's actually a Johnny come lately, but he's, he did great. Don't get me wrong. He does amazing stuff. Well, what, what was it about Joe Rogan's show? Because I, I think this is really fascinating because people say COVID and the pandemic is really what drove podcasting to the mainstream. Uh, I don't I'm a fairly technical person, so. I'm not, I'm, but I'm not an early adopter. So I'm never really that surprised when I've been hearing about something for a long time, but I don't do anything with it or know anything about it. Uh, I just, I wait on traction. The, it, I don't do blue ocean. This is why I love real estate because I don't have to be charismatic. I just put my apartment on the rentler and people come rent it. They don't have to know who I am. I don't have to be a genius at marketing. I don't have to be a genius at design. I just keep acting the same business plan over and over and over again and just carve out a niche there. And so I'm definitely not an early adopter. But with Joe Rogan, I looked it up recently, top podcast by category. And he was the top podcast in like seven of the 10 top categories. I think the only one was like the true crime stuff. It was it was crazy right. to me to think how popular he's gotten. So what was it about him that was popularizing podcasts and making people download? Was he putting it through a different service? Was it just a different format? What exactly? No, he actually got famous before he go, went to Spotify. He, I think went famous. He was famous before. No, first you know, back TV, guy. But, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Back when he had hair. But but yeah, he his whole key was he had celebrity guests. And and that changed everything. And he went to the three hour long. And I tell people today, look, they want to do a three hour show and it's them talking to their friends. Don't do that. You have to have celebrity guests if you're going to do three hours or crazy, interesting people. 
and he also approached things that people were questioning, things that we were asking about already. So he wasn't afraid to get away from the mainstream walking orders or marching orders. And he had celebrity guests. So if you're talking to Elon Musk, if I'm talking to Elon Musk, people will listen to three hours of that. that that's a good point. I just recently switched over five minutes um, that we were doing pretty much the whole first year over to an hour plus. It needs to be 101, right? Because I noticed that on YouTube, if they're over an hour long, it puts it into a different search category when people are looking for podcasts. It's the 45 minute ones. And, and I, I used to think at the beginning, I would want a 20 minute one because then you could listen to it on one commute on the way to work. But I started going as guests on the 20 to 30 minute shows. And it was almost like a fire round of questions. It, and it almost felt like the same yeah. kind of questions over and over again, where they're just saying, oh, how did you get started? I'm telling the same story I've always told. How did you do this? Blah, 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 right. blah, and then blah. you're out of time. Yeah. And it just feels so much more for And I feel like the, the, the podcast now, that's different than when Joe Rogan became a thing, or it's different even when COVID kind of hit and people were just looking for something to do during the day, which I always thought that was odd because I listened to podcasts while I was driving. And then when COVID yeah. hit and we stopped driving, and now that we're no longer in a W-2, we're, we're not commuting. Our podcast consumption personally is way down because we're not spending as much time in the car. And so I always kind of thought it was strange that people wanted to listen to an hour long or two or three hour long podcast. But I've just found that people prefer the conversational aspect of it. And what's turned it on its head again is the deep fakes. And this hour long conversation that you're having with somebody, there's no AI that can replicate any of that. So can you tell us a little bit no. about the evolution of the podcast that you've seen over the past, even just five years and the, the turning points, these, these several turning points and how you're finding it to be useful. in a Yeah, definitely. You mentioned the time. I've studied a lot over the years, the frequency and length as far as what builds audiences. And what I've found is that weekly is by far the best. There are some shows that get away with daily, some shows that maybe longer form that can get away with once a month, but weekly is a sweet spot on frequency. When it comes to length, you mentioned a shorter lengths like that. 35 minutes is still the sweet spot for building subscribers. Now you may get more listens or views on YouTube, but you'll get more subscribers if they can count on the commute time. It, that's it. It's a commute time. It's walking the dog time, riding your bike time, mowing the lawn time, whatever it is, which lets me segue into another important point. A study came out, I think it was about three weeks ago now, that said the most trusted media personalities in the world, podcast hosts right now. They surpass everything. Because if you think about it, while you're doing your jog or you're doing your commute, they are literally in your ears. And this is the audio version, not because the video, video is great, but I don't watch video. I mean, I listen to video while I'm doing other things, but it's all about audio. And you can get no better connection with your audience than you every week spending 30, 45 minutes with them. And it's a one-on-one -on -one conversation. For their, from their standpoint. And then that power of that, people can't really hide as much as they think they, they would like to hide, maybe. When you have a show where it's almost ad-libbing, this discussion, it, it pulls out story. Maybe the host wasn't in sharing, um, and, it, and it, it helps you get to know the host. But it's oddly enough, it's like usually we have a guest on. And so this episode, 
today is about Chris Daly talking about podcasting. So how is it that the host is the one getting the credibility on a show? And I think this is really poignant for the for what we're going to talk about on how people can use podcasting in their in their current marketing campaigns. Why is the the host really getting any credibility? We're the dumb ones sitting here asking the questions and right along with our guests. How does how does well? It, it's a great great question because that's something else I've studied too. Being that one of my majors in college was psychology. What I discovered there was that the host is a storyteller, but the story is the guest. And I do caution people, though, that if you're starting a podcast, say you're a financial coach or a life coach or something like that, if you're starting a podcast, don't make all your shows about guests because it takes longer to build your credibility as the host. You do build it because, like earlier in our conversation, you mentioned, well, I do investing and I slug away and I do step by step by step. So it gets some of you in there, but it's really about the guests. So, so what I will tell people to do is if you're going to have guests, which guests are the best way to build an audience. If you're going to have guests, maybe don't do them every single episode. If you're doing weekly, do three guest episodes on the fourth week, do a special segment of something you want to talk about. So I, I find that works better. Uh, that's been something that we've really been considering on this show because I could talk for, I can monologue. <laughs> I just take it away. Uh, one thing I've found that having guests on provides a certain amount of structure to make sure that the content yeah. actually gets created. Because when you show up in the recording studio, I'm going to show up and we're going to make a show. But sometimes when I'm doing it by myself, it's a difficult to get started and actually go out and create that content. So for me, starting with guests made sure that it, but before I, I, there's so many technical questions I want, but before we jump into that, I, I want to back a little bit and talk about why everybody needs a podcast. I wrote an article about this, I don't know, maybe two years ago on LinkedIn before I even had started a show. And I had finally come to that realization that I needed to have a podcast. And the analogy that I used was how in the 1990s, when everybody was dot coms were, were busting uh, in 2001 and everybody was saying, I, I told you I didn't need to be on the internet. I told you I didn't need a website. In the 90s, y'all said I needed a website. And I said, everybody has like, why do I need one? And then that that bust happened. And I think that harmed uh, people adopting websites and using the internet, uh, digital marketing. But then it turned out to you don't have a website, you, you be laundering money or something. It's, it's gotten to that point. And podcasting has almost matured to that point where everybody needs a podcast for credible about it about what people say. Why do I need a podcast? There are thousands of podcasts. I don't have anything to add to the conversation. I don't need to bring it out there. It's like saying I don't need a website. Why does everybody who's in business... Well, you say there are thousands out there. There are millions out there. But don't take that as, oh, no, I shouldn't do it. Podcasting is like anything else when it comes to marketing. And, it, and, and as you have seen the evolution of marketing, content marketing has become everything. There is no better content than them getting to know you personally, assuming you're not that evil, just henchman that doesn't represent well. You, you're a real person. So yeah, you, everybody needs it, but there, there are three ways to get involved in podcasting. And I tell everybody, you need to do one, if not all three of these. One is obviously have your own show. That is the gold standard. That's what everybody should shoot for, have your show. And we'll talk technically later 
about ways to make it easier to make that happen. Number two is be a guest on a show. I have all kinds of shows. I'm a guest on your show right now. There's a reason that I accept the opportunity to be on, on your show. One, we're great friends, but two, that's going to get my name in front of people too. And that's the same thing with your audience. When they get the opportunity to be a guest on another show, they need to jump all over that. And then three is at the very least, if you're not going to do a show, you're not going to be on a show, you need to at least advertise on podcasts because mm -hmm. it is the best rate of return of any advertising out there right now. It's bar none. It's, it's such a chill. Mm. I, I didn't ever really think about, I mean, I think about advertisers maybe when this show, if ever, I don't do the show to get monetized. I do the show to right. spread the message of passive income. And it's one of the channels that we use to, to spread that message of lifestyle design. But I've never really thought about advertising on somebody else's show. Isn't that dumb? Like, why wouldn't we put our fund on another show like the Pactor, you know, the, the other shows that are, that yeah. are related, they would love to, they would love to take my money. And you would love to get in front of their audience. So if you could pay the bucks and get in front of 10,000 people, I mean, you can't, find anything out there that that's inexpensive yeah that's a really that's a really good point and it's also i think a good point for people who don't really feel comfortable with the spoken word and one of the reasons my husband i haven't even interviewed troy on this podcast yet sorry i just said his name and he's going to see in the transcript he's going to think something needs edited there sorry <laughs> don't tell him a story about you uh, hasn't even been on this show even though i keep saying i need to interview him and have him share his side of our passive income journey show because he just doesn't really feel comfortable speaking in public you've talked to him many many times he's laid back chatty friendly outgoing like he has no problem talking but you stick a microphone on him or turn the camera on and he suddenly just freezes up and so it's really not his preferred format of communicating. So what are some alternatives that people can do other than advertising on somebody else's show if they just really don't feel like they are good in front of the microphone, especially if they don't have the budget to hire somebody else who is good in front of the microphone? Well, I would tell you is number one, I would say practice and pretend you're talking to one person because the beautiful part about this is I, I could totally flub up right now and say, hey, Troy, edit this for me. Not meaning to edit, Troy. Don't edit anything. He's no the code word. He's going to hate that. He should have never told episode. me the code. <laughs> He's going to have such trouble editing this stuff. But, but yeah, is get used to it. Like if you had the opportunity to speak in front of a business group, you would. The first time you were nervous. Second time, you're probably still nervous. But eventually... When you've done 500 of them, you're like, yeah, I got this. So I would say practice. The other thing is, and we may talk about this a little more when we talk about the future, AI is wonderful. There's a, a, a great service I've used uh, for one of my clients who is a good, great speaker, but he doesn't have time. He says, I'm writing things anyway. So we train the AI on his voice and we just submit the text. It puts it out in his voice, with his inflection, everything. It wow. sounds so good. So he doesn't have to. Using Descript, um, we're using the Squadcast Descript combo to edit our transcripts. And it does have an AI voice. And so if I say the wrong name or I say just it's the wrong statistic, or I could even just say, hey, Troy, right? And, and we can actually dub in uh, my voice. But 
it doesn't do a very good job on my inflections yet. So it's it, little short right. little snippets just to correct something. And I can't do your voice because to create your voice, I would need your, but I can really only fix uh, errors that I make. But even that, it has been so powerful and it doesn't match my mouth. So I try to keep it to a minimum because on the YouTube version, my mouth just sits there, you know, this weird, it's not even moving. So it's, it's not perfect, but it can fix it in the audio pretty well. We make a big mistake. We can change. What type of um, tools are you seeing that are, I mean, do people know that it's his, it's his AI voice speaking? Do you get out in front of that and say, oh, this is based on the writings of so-and-so or is it good? Well, to this one's good enough. 11 Labs is the site that I use for that. And it's, it's wonderful. It's, wow. it's head and shoulders above all the rest. I've used probably 50 other ones that I've toyed with and tweaked and and you have to do things like phonetically spell things. I mean, it, it's difficult in some of those. This one is amazing. And so I probably should give you an affiliate code. Yeah, but do you I have an affiliate link, Ellen? And this is another good point. Um, the time that it takes to put into something. I just, this, this is something I would really want about. Because I, I have a partner. She was spending six-ish hours a day on Instagram. And she has had really good traction. She has a large following over there. And I said, it just doesn't really seem worth it. It doesn't really seem worth the time that it would take to really dive into like Gary Vaynerchuk style. And she said, of course, it's worth it. She's making a lot of income off of her affiliate links because she says, hey, here's how I learned how to flip a house. Here's how I learned how to do private lending. And she bought, she's bought a lot of programs. She's done a lot of programs. So she just gets herself an affiliate link. And that way she has a place to send people actually done, actually tried. How have you seen podcasters able to pull in those affiliates into their, because uh, I, I, I don't know how else to monetize a podcast. It's not like Google AdSense on YouTube where you can do that. So tell me about Thanks. some of the benefits. Now we know everybody needs a podcast, whether you feel comfortable doing it or not, practice. One thing I do is I write down a bunch of questions as if, as if it's doing a call-in show. I just stick them down. And even in StreamYard here, I just put them in the banners, just write down a bunch of questions so yeah. that I can just be looking at it and I can just answer those questions. And I, I will say, I'm going to throw a tip here based on that. The advice you gave me when we were standing in my driveway, I guess we did talk about boss coming back. You said, record five episodes, throw them in the garbage. So that's what I did. I recorded my first couple of episodes over the, the three or four years that I was contemplating starting a podcast. I would sit down, I would do my hair, put on my makeup, my microphone out, and I would hit record as if, if it turns, I'm going to use it, right? But just ended in the garbage. And, and, but I, I have the added thing that I still have those actual recordings because one of these days I want to pull them out and make like a blooper reel from them. Yeah. The progress. But yeah, that, that to me is how I practice. And then putting the questions there, even though I could monologue all day and don't really need to prepare doing it is completely different. And so thank you for that tip. It really was what burst uh, this podcast here. And now I forgot the question I wanted to ask you. Oh man, what were we talking about? Yeah. Yeah. You were talking about monetizing. Yeah. Monet so everybody needs one practice, do a few solo episodes so people can get to know you, build your own credibility. And then are we looking here to monetize the podcast? Cause like I said, that's not what I'm doing. I'm here to fund basically to to, to get the word out there about passive income, how it's generated, how people can do it. So that's really my main purpose there. But if somebody is looking at, at actually putting in all the work for this, should they be trying to do affiliate links monetizing? Like, tell Well, you talked about your friend uh, or partner who was doing social media and is it worth it? Even before you get to affiliate links, 
the growth of a podcast is very much hockey stick, right? It's going, 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 and then boom. So you have to build the audience for it to be of any value to make some money. One, the best way is the way you're doing it, is put in the work and build the audience. Eventually, some of the audience will say, I really like what she's talking about. I need to reach out to her. And that's the surefire way to, to monetize. It's slower, but it's steadier. Then you've got things like affiliate links. You can put those in. Those Some of the biggest shows in the world do affiliate links. You'll hear the NPRs and in, in a lot of these big ones, and they'll say, and go to hellofresh.com slash NPR or something like that. That's affiliate. And then the other way, of course, is actual advertising. On the Lone Star Gridiron website, where we have probably 15 shows a week during the football season, different shows, not episodes, we have advertising in them because we I do one for the Texas High School Coaches Association. And that audience, 26,000, it's the largest coaches association in the world. It's all coaches. It's all people who buy athletic equipment. So we have advertisers reaching out. Hey, I'm Franklin Sports. I'm Baden Volleyballs, whoever it is. We want to get in front of your audience. And so they pay us just like any other ad you see on TV or radio. But we do what's called a host read ad, which is much more powerful. If I am the host interviewing a Hall of Fame coach, and I say, oh, before we talk to the coach, you got to check out this turf company. They make some amazing turf. And that carries a lot more weight than me running an ad for them. And so that's another way to monetize. Should the point be to monetize or does it depend on the point of the podcast? I, I, another piece of advice I got early on in podcasting, I was probably listening to a real estate podcast while I was driving to a meetup before COVID, driving to in-person meetups. And he was talking about his own podcast, his successful real estate podcast. And he said, if you can't commit for at least two to five years, don't bother. And I think that piece of advice, while it was good, prevented me from getting started because I really wasn't 100% committed. And so having that saying, okay, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it for the long term. We're going to do it right. Should we try to monetize or should we just keep it about talking about our business? It totally depends on why you're doing it. You know, if you're doing it for your company, if your goal is to use it as lead generation or brand recognition, then yeah, you should go into it with a plan. How do I convert this audience into X, whatever X is? But there are so many people who just want to start a podcast and want to talk about My Little Pony or want to talk about the latest episode <laughs> of Walking Dead or something. I'm dating myself. It's over now. But so yeah, it, <laughs> I guess so. I don't know any of this. I don't know. Pop culture stuff, obviously. Right, exactly. Or maybe they just wanted to talk about the Dallas Cowboys. And you could do that and you could have a great time doing that. And that will open some doors. And one of the first podcasts I started back, I lived in Houston back when I started uh, the Lone Star Gridiron. I started one called This Week in Houston, which was just news and events going on in Houston. That got me into so many things for free as media. I loved it. That's I got a good idea. That's a Super Bowl. I got in. Yes. So okay. yeah, it all depends on the reason. I Okay, so I can see if you already are an entrepreneur and you have a business and you need a podcast like you needed a website in the 90s, that maybe it would just be about lead gen and credibility. And 
one leg of the marketing stool. But for somebody who just wants to do like a hobby-based podcast and just talk about something yeah. they're interested in, and there may be no business attached to it, maybe that would be a candidate for monetization because that two to five year commitment, way to stay committed. That's true. That's true. Or just be one of these crazy rabid fans because I've yeah. seen people who have put on a show for 10 years and haven't made a dime with it. That's true. That's true. And, and I think if you love it. I my, my fan feedback though too because people will comment and share and all mm -hmm. that. I've, I've had to really try to divorce myself from liking fan feedback because yeah. one, fans can be kind of mean. <laughs> They're not really fans, but you know, just the, the mean comments, right? So in order to kind of put that veil over myself to be like, I'm not going to get the, I'm not going to let the bad comments or the, the negative comments get to me. I've kind of just had to wash out doing it for any kind of fan attention at all, even positive. Yeah. What I'm looking to do is help people change their financial lives and be able to really think about like their lifestyle design, because once that happens, the philanthropy kicks in. And so I'm almost creating this army of philanthropists and that's what keeps me going. So I guess if they were to write in and say, or call me or tell me like, Hey, because of you, I was able to get financial freedom or start thinking. And I went out and started a charity right water or something like that. That actually would really mean a lot to me. But I try to just ignore everything else um, because it's almost a distraction from the from the mission. And monetization, in a way, would be a distraction from the mission as well. Because one, if I'm doing so well on passive income. Why do I need affiliate links? And why, and why do I need all this stuff? Yep. Right. And, you know, and I don't think that's really valid because millionaires have seven streams of income. And that's why, they're, that's why they're millionaires. So I don't pay much attention to that one. But the other reason is, is sometimes it just seems a little disingenuous to me. So can you, from the psychology standpoint, can you speak to the monetization of podcasts when you just are doing it for the love of it, or you really are just doing it to help other people? Do you find that that complicates things a little if they start trying to? I don't know. It, again, that depends on the person. Some people, they just clipping right along and it opens some new doors to them. Maybe they get to go to more fan conventions or put on fan appreciation things. So it doesn't change anything about the show. But there are other people who write when they something happens, they've now got an affiliate code and they realize, oh, I make more money if I do this kind of show. Yeah, it will change the show. That's totally up to them who they are. I caution people against that because I know that this is difficult to do long term. And one of the, one of the early nicknames I got among the podcasting crews was the hardest working man in podcasting. And I say that because I had a show at the time called the PMC Top 10, which was the pod music countdown. And I was Casey Kasem basically counting down the top tracks being played on music podcasts around the globe. And I played James Brown's last release. I debuted on my show because radio wouldn't touch him anymore because he wasn't young, he wasn't pretty. But uh, I got to debut a song and he was the hardest working man in show business. So I became the hardest working man. Of yeah. Uh, you just, you just have those that kind of make it all. But I have to admit, like, there's a reason that we say, Hey, Troy, and he could, I eat editing video or, or audio. I was a wedding photographer for 10 years. That's what I did when we knew each other. And I decided to take a stab at video, especially when DSLRs started coming out with the video functions on them. And that was a new thing. I would start recording snippets of video to provide to the couples. And I very quickly decided I hate, hate, hate editing video. I used to do instructional video, like online courses for graphic design and uh, mm -hmm. Photoshop courses. And I would take little screen captures and things like that. 
And if I couldn't do it in one take and I had to edit it, I would sometimes just trash it and start over because I did not want to do any editing. So I think that when I started trying to edit a little bit of wedding video and thinking maybe I should add this as a product, it became very apparent to me, like I'm either have to hire someone out, which means I need enough clients to make it worth it, or I'm just going to stick to the photography. So I don't like editing YouTube videos. I don't like editing podcasts. I find it to be extremely tedious. But talking to you, and then I I interviewed um, a YouTuber uh, recently on the show that I went to college with a successful YouTube channel. And after the show, I said, this, it seems like so much work. And she said, it's enough money to make it worth it. She said, but the beginning, I didn't know I was ever going to make any money. I didn't know if YouTube was ever going to become anything. She says, I did it because I love the art and the craft of creating videos. I'm like, oh man, I'm in trouble because I do not love that. So the road a little bit here with somebody like me, who when you start out and I'm to justify paying for the services when the podcast's not not really paying its own way, I guess. So tell us about the things that people should look at, especially if you're like me and you just edit your own stuff. When do we hire? What's our first hire based on different maybe personalities? And how we start going down that road of knowing that the podcast can now support. Yeah, I think, again, you mentioned the personality. That's everything because there's several pieces, right? We record a, a podcast and you've got to edit. You don't have to edit. There, there are some shows that I do that there's no editing whatsoever. One, because I've been doing it long enough. But two, because I want it to be extremely real. I do one called The Marketing Drive where... I am literally driving to a client or driving somewhere. I get a marketing idea and I just flip on my recorder and record. It has traffic noises. It has everything. Yeah, in I it. love that one. It's just something that I'm inspired to talk about. So that one's no editing. Now I, I do, I say no editing. I put in an intro and an outro, but that takes, I've got it set up ahead of time, slide it in, spit it out. That's simple. So if you require editing, if you require a lot of editing, then yeah, that's the first one I would output to somebody else. I would outsource to somebody. But it's a skill that can be learned pretty easily to handle yourself too. But I think you know, we've talked about this before. It's monotonous. And it's the same thing <laughs> over and over and over. And you got to replay it. You got to replay it so many times when you're editing a little section. I'll pull out YouTube show from these episodes and Troy has started highlighting he's going through the transcript because most of these episodes don't need edited in the middle, but they need the intro, the outro to be uh, your download, uploaded to the service, cover art made. So I'm looking at editing as the entire packaging. Yeah. Yeah. Show notes, titles, that kind of thing. And so he's like, I am not a marketer. I should not be picking out what should be a YouTube short. So he just will highlight things for me in the transcript and then I have to go in. And so I said, okay, well, I like these three. And then he still goes in and packages them into the template that I created YouTube. I, I'm titling them and we have, we're kind of still working out our, our workflow process there, but it, it's a, it's a lot of work. It's a lot yeah. of work. So for somebody who may be editing, because I, I remember we were heavily in the um, the keto uh, conference world and I was sitting and there was a panel of keto podcasters. And this was the first time I thought, oh, wow, they're creating podcasts around like these specific topics that they're passionate about. And one of the, the top guys, he was had the first keto podcast probably ever. And he, they were asking about editing. And this was, oh, this is so many years ago, still back in Austin. And he said, well, here's how I edit. I push record and... I push stop. But then he said something that got me. He said, and then my team takes care of the rest, like uploading and, and all of the cover art. 
So I realized, okay, so he's brat bragging a little about not needing any editing, but there's still a that has to happen. So let's, let's expand the definition of editing to podcast production. What does that involve? We talked about cover art, show notes, getting it uploaded. Talk about what else that includes that maybe we've... Yeah, sure. And it depends. It, it varies depending on audio versus video. True definition of podcast is audio only. What we're doing and what you're doing on YouTube, it's officially a video cast, but people use it interchangeably. So obviously, if you need to take out a word out of what I've said, because I said something wrong and then I correct it, audio, very easy. Video, I'll jump. So you either need to put some sort of graphic over right when I'm talking so you don't see the jump or something like that or do a cross fade, whatever. But, but other than the physical editing of the pieces of the content, then you have to export it into whatever format you're going to upload on, right? And you have to append the ID3 tags in audio. And that's the show title, that's the show host, that's the date, the different things like that, that, that all these pod catchers require iTunes, Spotify, Stitch, well, not Stitcher anymore, it's gone, but iHeart, Podcasts, all those require that, right? All those require that to show something on the screen while you're listening. And that's where the album art comes comes in. And so you, then you take that, you upload it to your company that does the hosting. There's a lot of hosting companies out there. You mentioned Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout will do the hosting. I caution people against Buzzsprout just because it's their stuff then. I use Libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N, and all they are is a repository for the MP3 file. That's it. And they serve it out to these podcatchers. But it's always yours, and it's housed. the show is housed on your website, not housed on Buzzsprout or housed on some other place. Because I, I know you've been in the marketing biz long enough to know. Can we platform? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, when, exactly. Whether it's, whether it's being deplatformed just for political reasons or, or getting hacked, changed something. Yeah. There's so many reasons to that all of a sudden you've just handed over everything you've built for the last two years doesn't work anymore. So I say, keep it in house, keep it on your website, host the file somewhere. Yes. And use that service. But so somebody has to upload that to them. Then somebody has to take from there ahead of time. You've set up an RSS feed, which feeds it out to these different shows or catchers. But then you also have to take that show. That's where you get the embed files. And the enclosure files, depending on how you're sharing it with the world, whether you're sharing it in an email, whether you're posting a player on your website or an individual blog post or LinkedIn, all these different places use different content. A lot of them now, you can just upload the raw file, good and bad to that. If you upload the raw file to a LinkedIn, you don't see those numbers in your download numbers because they're downloaded from LinkedIn. Exactly. Same so thing for YouTube. There's just a lot. And the same, same thing with iTunes. And you think, oh, I'm going to upload it to iTunes. It's going to share it out there. They'll tell me how many downloads I get. Well, one, their reporting's not very good. And two, if your show is popular, they grab a copy and cache it. So you don't see any of those reported back to your thing. So it's kind of voodoo mystery how many downloads they have. Okay. Yeah, we've, we've done that because we have ours hosted on Spotify and it'll tell us uh, iTunes, but 
then it's like other. I don't know. It just it doesn't. It's just yeah. analytics are not very good, and I have to go get my other analytics off the video podcast from YouTube itself. It does keep pretty good analytics side of things, but I I just like track all of the analytics and and seeing like is this really worth my time and do say when we hit that two year mark, you know, at the end of twenty twenty four. And it's time to sit down and say, hey, are we making traffic? I, I don't I don't know how to do any of that. And so I, and even you saying you have to set up an RSS feed. I was like, again, like, Troy, can you, <laughs> I'll, I'll record the content. I'll book the guests. I'll do all of that. But the technical the, the technical back end for me, if he wasn't around to do this, yeah. I, I this would just consume me to a, a to an unacceptable degree sure. because one. I'm only one person, but two, I don't have that skill set that he does where he can do it in a fifth of the time that it takes me. And so I like to give everybody free advice. Like we're not holding anything back. This is how it goes. This is what it takes because most people who are going to try and do everything, all the free advice are Mm -hmm. not going to be able to scale. And so at a certain point you have to say, look, I I've done this myself. I get it. Um, but this isn't really my core competency and I need to farm some of this out. So tell us a little bit more about what you do and how people can farm. Cool. Yeah, definitely. And I recommend people when I first talk to them, I recommend they do learn those steps. One, so that when we have a conversation, they understand what I'm talking about. But two, so they know when something breaks, because something breaks always. Somewhere something breaks. So they'll know what's going on. But as far as what I do, I I I have a podcast launch service where I will set up the RSS feeds. I'll set up the distribution to all the different places, create the album art, create work with them for the title and descriptions, things like that. Get it set up on their website, whether it's set up a page or whether it's set up a new blog, whatever it is, and give them all the different options of why you would do it one way versus another way. And that's the launch, as well as some basic forms like guest appearances, that people can fill things out. So you have the standard stuff ready for every guest. As far as an episodic stuff that we do, again, we can do anything from the editing up to being a host on the show. If they really just want their message out, they, maybe they want to be interviewed on every episode. That's fine. (laughs) I mean, I've I've um, seen that. I know that Neil Patel does it that way where he has a podcast with Neil on every, every show about marketing. So, I mean, that, that's a valid format. It works. It works. Yeah, I do that for a couple municipalities, a couple economic development groups, mm. like the city of Pflugerville. I'm the host and I interview the mayor of Pflugerville. I interview the head of Tesla in Pflugerville and tell their story. Nice. You know? That, yeah. That, yeah. That's an interesting format. Again, to go back to people who don't feel that comfortable hosting their own mm-hmm. show, hiring a host to interview you or interview people around you. I, my sister-in-law volunteered to do that for my solo episodes at one point because I was saying that I was struggling to uh, just talk for right. half hour and by myself. And she said, just have me on and I'll, I'll interview you. So that that's just going kind of back to what we were talking about before, just throwing that out there. That's another format technique. That- yeah, definitely. And, and again, what I tell people is I'm going to lay out what I call the keys to the kingdom here. It, here's every step you need to make this thing happen and to make it successful. Here are the the things it may be. Here's how you share. Here's how, when you have a guest, how you make sure that they share it too, because you want to reach their audience and grow yours that way. And somewhere along the line, like you've alluded to already, they will find pieces 
they don't necessarily like to do. And if they want to scale, those are probably going to be all the patients. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's true because there are some we even like to do that we yeah. can't justify doing in the interest of scaling, in the interest of really specializing in exactly what we do. So I'm sure you're not the one sitting there editing no. audio or, or even coming up with the show notes and things like that. Like you have to have no. a team around it, even if that was your favorite thing to do. At a certain point, you just have to say, look, I am an insurance salesman or I am a doctor. I am a whatever. Yeah. And just saying like this podcast supports that, but this podcast, not the business. It's yeah, a good example. You mentioned uh, video editing earlier. I used to have a video or production company and I love creating and, and I love editing video. I am super slow editing. So I did one just this last week for our church. And it, it was a women's organization there that said, hey, we want you to do this. Here's kind of the idea we have. And I thought, hey, I'll do that. It took me forever. I'm, I'm very pleased with the result, but there's no way if I was doing that for a living, yeah, they couldn't pay me for that much time. There's yeah. no way. I, yeah. I spent a week and a half and it should have been a $50 deal. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and you'd get faster at it with practice, but you have to ask like, yeah. it's the highest investment of my skill, right. my time. You know, right. it just wasn't. Um, and, and I, I've had those moments in every business that I've, that I've run where I kind of have to get real with myself and say, this is the part that I'm good at. This is the part that I'm not good at. This is the part that I like. This is the part that I don't like. And this is the part that makes the most sense from an ROI standpoint that I have my hands on versus, or I, I want to shift, shift a little bit. Um, I, and I, I love you share the technical stuff because frankly, it wasn't about microphone and sound studios, because even though I feel like sound quality is extremely important. People are not going to listen yeah. if the sound is bad and it's annoying. I think that there are a lot of other sources where they can figure out a couple of, you know, beginner microphones to buy and, and I to more of, of the, the business entrepreneur of the podcast itself. But as an entrepreneur yourself and thinking forward to when you're going to work, like paint me a picture of your own passive income journey and how you are preparing for retirement, whether it's at 55, 60, 65, 70, or you die like Charlie Munger. What? What does the next, say, 10 to 20 years look like for you from that point and from to spend um, more time? Yeah. Well, I tell people only half jokingly, I've been gainfully unemployed for 30 years. So I think I'm going to be one of those that does his passion until he dies. Just because I, you mentioned earlier, lifestyle, I have kind of tweaked this business to be a lifestyle business. And that's, I think, podcasting has really helped me do that because I can have a voice. I don't have to go buy media time anywhere. So I built a pretty good following. I'm, I'm not Joe Rogan, but I have a solid following in several different areas enough to pay my bills. And yeah, maybe there's going to be a time when maybe my vocal cords go out or something, <laughs> but I've already trained AI on my voice too. So I've got that covered. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah I had I had problems with this. I had to get speech therapy because I couldn't actually work anymore. I couldn't take phone calls. I couldn't speak at conferences. I couldn't go to networking events. So I was having so much pain in my voice and almost learning how to take care of my voice as a tool of my trade uh, became very important. But I didn't think about like, maybe I could not sound like such a 10 years down the road if I had. Nice, nice. Yeah, but I too am a big believer in passive income. I love mailbox money. I am a, an entrepreneur from, like I mentioned, junior high school. So I've got these multiple streams and that's what I've positioned myself. 
to be is to uh, have opportunities to have things that make money while I'm doing nothing. When, when I go on vacation with my wife, I don't have to check in all the time. Not saying it's all perfect and we're where we need to be, but I think that's part of it is just incrementally get where you need to be. And if it's to start something like an investment in something that returns, then that's what it is, whatever you're comfortable with. And that's why I've loved following your story because of what happens with Rise Capital. It's just, it's been fascinating. I think it's one of the best tools out there for producing residual income. I really feel like I, my life was blessed in a way that I didn't fully appreciate at the time that it was happening by people putting content out there about passive income, about retiring early, about real estate investing, and specifically about commercial real estate investing, because there was a black box for a lot of years. They're bigger projects. They're more expensive. The SEC had a lot of rules around it until they started kind of changing and relaxing some of those access points. I just really felt like people were so excited. They're putting themselves out there oversharing on social media podcasts that I was listening to like a like a betrayal of all their effort that I would benefit from so much to change my life so much to not turn around and how can I contribute to this this voice this movement and people will ask me oh you're so retired on passive income why are you still working well we took a sabbatical and we thought a lot about that and it's similar to what you said you're going to have a, some sort of a passion that you're going to work on until you die yeah. you have to work until I die if something right. comes I'm able to shift shift um shift tag who's permanently disabled he was in a in a devastating cycling accident and suddenly he weird whether he wanted to be or not and what was the rest of his life going to look like and how was he going to pay for it and so all of the things that he had been setting up in in case something bad happened and the worst happened and now he have to work he he chooses mm. to work in what he can do in his with his particular medical condition and so i've seen it firsthand in my own life it doesn't last forever and it's, it's been a powerful reader to me, especially uh, in his situation, that we just need to be able to have some contingency plans. And I loved what you said about the incremental nature of it, as it's, yeah. it's, it's never going to happen all in one day. It takes a, a really long time. And so can you maybe walk us back alone history of some, I maybe need to get on this a little bit, this retirement plan and what that, what that looks like. Is it stock investing? Do you, do you buy shares of companies? Just share, maybe, Maybe share it with us a little. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I'll, I'll go back a little bit. One of the biggest things that made passive investment possible was getting married. <laughs> uh, because yeah. seriously, as a bachelor, I could go months without making money. It did not bother me in the least because I knew I was going to get a $50,000 payday at the end of it or something. No sweat, right? That when I got married was the most devastating news to my wife. She's like, I can't live like this because <laughs> she just yeah. used to every two weeks you get paid. So, so I totally changed my uh, marketing business. I totally changed the model to, okay, let's work on revenue streams instead of big projects and put clients on retainer and, and put just the, as far as my hours, would build them out in blocks and would would basically try to, I guess, schedule it instead of not so many of these big pie in the sky, hope it turns into a big payday thing. And that's really what investing is. It's just toning it down, making it, instead of being high risk, high reward, mm -hmm. it, it was much lower risk, 
but steady reward. So that allowed me to budget finally. I mean, don't get me wrong, I was doing fine before then, but but it was an eye-opener for me to to not, like I said, I just, it never bothered me when I didn't have money for two months. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't wow. really bother me either, but my kid. So similar, right? Similar type of thing that you're describing. You have yeah. somebody else who's so like, I, I changed that, and then I started some other side businesses. I do a a desktop sports themed board game business, where we develop these board games based on the statistics that we got from our podcast we were doing about sports. And now that is a side company that just puts that mailbox money. It's pays when I'm sleeping. I wake up and there's checks in the PayPal and which is nice. And then from there, like you mentioned before, you put things into stocks, you put things into real estate to me has always been the best investment period bar none. There, it doesn't come close. So I haven't gotten into multifamily or anything like that. We've done a lot more single family, but that that's solid stuff. That's and what then, we eat uh, off of. Our singles right. payments every month, just like check, yeah. like a paycheck, are is a little bit more um, irrelevant just because right. it's a it's a much larger place for me. Or I I I'm definitely I never tell somebody that you should do singles first so that you can figure out and then do commercial. From a knowledge yeah. standpoint, no, but they definitely cash flow faster, and in my opinion, or at least in my experience, more consistent. Yeah, yeah, and and it's a good entry level to to eventually get into the multifamily stuff. For sure. And then you also mentioned businesses. I have partnered with a couple different people on helping them get their businesses going. And my, I guess, part there was I get some equity. So I take care of helping them market, help obviously get their podcast started. But yeah, and let them build their business. And I try to stay out of the day-to-day in that. That's probably my favorite thing to do is is help people businesses. Uh, yeah. I like to start them, but I, I don't love running them it's like that two to five years maybe like oh really like i don't know but six months maybe two years in the trenches um but i I was just surprised one day i overheard in a zoom call during the pandemic because he worked at home right and i was sitting in the same room and chit-chatting of one of his um co-workers had had left because his wife was doing so well in real estate he just left and he made a joke about how they were saying okay who wants to take on his responsibilities and he's like i'll take his job and they said, oh, okay, well, he handled this. He goes, no, 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 I mean, the wife making so much money work here anymore. And the other guys, they all, when he was asking them, like, what are you, what are you going to do? What's your exit plan? And they got into this conversation about it. And every single one of them said, I don't see myself doing C5. But then he'd say, oh, so what, what other kinds of things right. are you thinking? And every single one of them said. Yeah, that's scary because it's the same thing with diet. Everybody thinks, oh, yeah, I'm yeah. going to get fit. Yeah. What are you doing about it? Nothing. Nothing. We go have a cheeseburger about it. Yeah. I mean, people don't want to work till they're 65 unless it's, I, I find that if they have this passionate thing that they really love to do. But I mean, my dad was a really good software developer for Boeing and was very passionate about it. Very early adopter to some of these technologies. I mean, he was like 60. He was done. Right. But he had to keep working because he, he you know, didn't have enough to retire. And so I feel like watching that he was passionate and he stayed passionate the rest of his life about doing projects and learning things, new things on the computer and helping other people with their businesses and things like that. He definitely stayed very active until he passed away, but he would have liked to not be at that nine to five about maybe five or maybe 10 years earlier than he actually retired at 65. So it's good that you're thinking ahead about, I think entrepreneurs do a better job of this because 
even though you're not digging every fence post and, and putting up every, right. you know, every piece of everything, you're still having to, to show up and kind of run things. But entrepreneurs especially are thinking like, what's going to happen to this business when I get too old to work it? What happens to this business when, if I become disabled? What happens yeah. to this business if I pass away unexpectedly? And just don't really think that the business will, will go on. You kind of have to think about that ahead of time and how to prepare for that. So I well, what their financial plans are can work till you die. Like we're all at drive. But if you, right. okay. yeah. yeah, now I got to go home and rethink my life. Yes. <laughs> but Jared, you spend so much time with so many successful entrepreneurs that could retire tomorrow it, because if they yeah. just set things up properly that they're like, I don't want to do this anymore. And that's not going to happen. It's right. some, some sort of thing. But I think, I just feel like we spend more time around people who are thinking about Yes. All right. So I need um, an affiliate link. Just make one up here for your services. <laughs> so how to get a hold of you and then um, and then slash passive income. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Go. You can go to freshmediaworks.com and um, slash passive income ventures. Ventures. <laughs> yeah. Cool. There we go. Cool. There. Yep. So um, what I always ask, ever since I've been forgetting, like we're having a uh, better conversations as I mature as a pod. What, uh, well, how do people get a hold of you? But what's more, why should people reach out to you? What type of person would be the ideal? I think my sweet spot is people or companies who know they've got something worth talking about. And I'm not talking about being entertainers or being something dramatic. I'm talking about a real story. And what I've discovered in 19 years of telling these stories is that every single one of us has a great story. So first, understand your story is amazing. And then be willing to get out there and be authentic and keep it real. And if you do that, you have friends. They were built because they got to know the real you. Same thing will happen. You'll just have more friends and hopefully more clutching. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. We all know how to make friends by being sometimes in business. Yeah. We lose, we lose that ability to continue to be authentic. But yeah, we're too friends with be, yeah, yeah, but I'm, I'm friends with my, I'm friends with my partners. I, I mean, we may not be going on vacations together, but we all have very good friendly relationships. If colleagues, business and friends, they're all kind of in the same lane. Yeah, I agree. Come a hundred percent. Appreciate you so much coming on the show today. Really enjoyed as well this podcast, uh, having you reach out to me and just educate me better about what my options are because it's starting to eat us first. So um, I just thought this, this, you have such good information. I just really want to have you on the show again. So I have the selfishness of being able to just pick your brain, but also of just sharing what you do with people who could really use your service to help them scale their business so that they can make more money and so they can start planning ahead for what life like after, you know, after entrepreneurship. You bet. Thank you so much. Great to talk to you again and get in front of your audience. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, definitely. I hope you have some shows that I can, because I, that's a big part of my, of my platform. We'll chat. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. That's already in the plans. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks. So. so I didn't know that Chris was the original Friday Night Lights guy with Texas high school football. That is pretty cool. I mean, not that he was on the show, not that he was on the movie or the TV show, but just that he has been in the forefront of this movement for quite a number of years and has really built up podcasting and given podcasting the base of credibility that we can now all enjoy in our own businesses. For me, this is one of the only ways that I can put out long form content to reach you, the entrepreneur, the professional, 
the investor to talk about our lifestyle and share the details, the nitty gritty of how we're doing what we're doing. I want you to make more money so that you have more money to invest. Passive income comes from investing money and it can be somewhat generated in a residual fashion from a hands-off business like creating something and collecting royalties. But the ultimate form of passive income in the truest sense of the word is making money and then investing that money for a return. So I want to share my entrepreneurial journey. I want to highlight other entrepreneurs on this show, people who are doing great things at their jobs or companies or businesses and give you the tools that you need to make better investing decisions so that you can live the passive income life of your dreams. Reach out to us if you're watching on YouTube. We got the background on today because I am again filming from the backseat of my car in my mobile studio as we travel full time. So we got partnerwithrise.com. We also meet every Monday night for a free commercial investing club at riseclubcapital.com. It's got a calendar reminder you can use there, plus a link just to jump right into the meeting. Between these two things, we can help pretty much every type of investor if you are looking to be anywhere in the commercial space. We do private lending, otherwise known as hard money loans in our fund, as well as being able to invest in the great equity projects where we are partners on the stuff that we're investing in ourselves for early retirement for people who want to be completely hands-off and for those of you who want to be a little bit more involved in a joint venture of some type or to be able to raise capital for deals the club is the place that you want to join in so that we can work together to find great deals and match those up with the capital needed to make it happen i definitely want to hear from you after the show so if you go to partnerwithrise.com and click on invest with us you can jump into our calendar to schedule a call. Tell us about your investing goals, your skills, your current situation, and see if you can get on the track to generating more passive income so that you can have more control over your time and your lifestyle and enjoy more passive income adventures.